The Lord said to Moses, One more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh in Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. So speak now in the hearing of the people, as in God's people, the Hebrews. God spoke through Moses to his people and gave instruction to put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost of every Hebrew home. This was a sign to protect themselves from the judgment of God that was coming. And the first Passover meal was instituted this way, as a remembrance. Moses no longer spoke to Pharaoh about the final plague, since in the previous plague of the darkness, Pharaoh rather he never see Moses again. So Pharaoh didn't get to hear from Moses this time what God was about to do. It was Pharaoh's own stubborn resistance, refusing to ever seeing God or Moses again. That closed out his opportunity to repent or to receive that final warning to avoid this calamity. You cannot obey what you did not hear from God, and God will do exactly what he wills to do. So it was a tragic, it was a very tragic mistake for Pharaoh to shut out God and his servant Moses. As for the Hebrew, the judgment of God did not skip over the Hebrew because they were Hebrew. The judgment of God skipped over the people who obeyed God's instruction by putting a sign of blood on the doors of their houses and the instructions were given to the Hebrew people of God. It was in the duty of the people of God to obey. God will do this. God will do what he wills to do. God's word is a merciful privilege to those who hear it. And to ignore it with any disregard bears consequences. And when the judgment of God came, this plague came on to the whole land without bias. So the responsibility to stay safe from the judgment of God and this plague falls on to the people to act obediently to the word of God, which they have received. Obedience to God's word. It comes from a proper fear for God. If someone refused to listen or put the blood of the Passover lamb on any doorpost, they were not exempted from God's judgment or the plague that killed all the firstborn. Christians escape the judgment of God and sins are pardoned, not because anyone called themselves Christians, however that religious label could be acquired. If anyone escapes the judgment of God and have their sins forgiven by God, it is because they obey God and trust in the name of Jesus Christ. And when we obey God according to the Bible, that's when we are called Christians. Christ the sinless Son of God, who, like a lamb to God, was sacrificed by his shed blood to cover the sins of those who believe in him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back to the plague. After God called Israel's and all her leaders to obey these instructions, at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner in the jail underground, and all the firstborn of the livestock as well. There is no protection, no exception, from the judgment of God, no matter your social class, your economic background, whether you live in houses as big as a palace or locked away in a bunker. No one escapes the judgment of God. And all of Egypt cried, 
because someone died in every house, no exception. Pharaoh got up in the middle of the night with all his officials and advisors. He didn't have to wait until the next morning, no more tomorrow this time. Now he asked for Moses and Aaron, still in the night. And he asked him and all the Hebrew people of God to leave right away. Go serve the Lord. Now Pharaoh said to Moses, Go, worship your God as you have said. It was during this plague, this final plague, that the Lord God said to Moses, My wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Wonders, as in the signs of judgment, these plagues that God was doing. Wonders. And the Lord also said, On the gods of this land, Egypt, I will execute judgment. Every plague from the first to last was a judgment that reveals idolatry in the hearts of men. And this final one is no different. In all the ten plagues, one disaster after another, God exposed all the idolatry that was in the land, all manners of worship to things or people as fake, made-up false gods, from the weather to the economy of things and even the people themselves, idols. These things or people were not gods themselves, but the hearts of men and women have made them to be like gods. Family can be turned by hearts of men and women into ideals of false worship and idolized, seen in the plague of locusts. Land ownership and commands and authority can be turned into an idol, as seen in the plague of the flies. Economy can also be made an idol, seen in the plague of the livestock. Our health and well-being can also be an idol, seen in the plague of the boils. God rightfully and righteously judges over all the false worship and now arriving at the tenth and final plague it came unto the firstborn of all the families when we do not worship god we always end up worshiping something or someone else that is idolatry so when the firstborn son of pharaoh of egypt was taken away from him by god Pharaoh finally relented. He finally agreed to yield to God and let his people go to worship him. Finally, finally, after nine horrific disasters, this was the tenth. There is no grief like a father's grief. The weight of a father's tender affection for his young son, lovely as he was innocent, sinks heavier in a man's heart than the caskets or tombs of any size that could be built. That pain eclipsed over all the losses of any other disasters. That's why Pharaoh yielded to God. It had to be that. It had to come to that. The losses of livestock or assets and possession, bank accounts equivalent, crops, poor weather, social status, political power, accessible clean water, health. All these things had been lost during the plagues. But none of these things waved Pharaoh to the way of God like the loss of his firstborn son. He most certainly loved his son more than he did 
for the rest of everything that he had already lost in his world. There is no love like a father's love. Fathers are all different. Some would indulge in this love and some fall short from it. And unless we worship God first, the indulgence itself is falling short of it. And yet there is God. God is higher still. God is higher still. The love of God is even higher and greater than any father's love for his own son. Because God is a father himself before anyone else ever was. Before Pharaoh was a father, God is a father himself. And God loves his own son with an even greater and higher love. God says of Jesus, the Messiah, this is my son. With him, I am well pleased. A son in whom even God is pleased. That's the father. When we worship God, we follow the way God loves his very own son, Jesus Christ. That's why our worship to God is so important to us. Worship him for his most perfect love, for his most perfect son, Jesus Christ. This, when we worship, this is how a son is to be loved by a father. This is how a father loves his son as a God. And this is the way God the Father loves his son, as a father should, as parents should to their children. This is why worship to God is so important to us, as families, as parents, as fathers. It is what we do for children when we do not worship God that terrifies me. Like a sin that provokes the anger of God, because God is just to punish to make great his name holy in all the earth. And that's what he did when he showed at once by the ten plagues over a great civilization in the times gone by. God is holy and just. It is when we do not worship God that even firstborn sons can be turned into idols, like false god, born and treated like gods when they were not, lovely persons, made to be loved like idols and false gods by fathers who do not worship God. Because when we do not worship God alone, anything or anyone else around us can be turned into idols, false gods that lead us down the wrong way in life, away from Jesus Christ. Every person can either worship the true living God as told in the Bible or fall prey to false gods of our own hearts. Fathers are to lead sons and daughters to God full of worship and adoration and admiration for God. This was covered in the previous plague. Godly fathers often make godly sons and daughters. And fathers of idols will make sons of idols as well, or making sons to be their own idols. It is because of idolatry there is a wrong way to love sons and daughters as well. And these are the times we need to see the true father's love from God again. There are parents who live their whole lives making sacrifices just to give their children things that will meaninglessly perish in the kingdom of God. And that inadvertently focus the children's attention onto worthless things. In time, this would debase the children's worth or self-worth. 
because they have been taught growing up to invest in worthless things. There are fathers and families that will do everything to make their children happy, even if being happy is for all the wrong reasons. Happy for evil and sinful things that are completely outside of God's will and against God's law. There are fathers and mothers who idolize their children, pampering and dare not discipline their children when they become angry. Even when they are angry for all the wrong and sinful reasons. When instead it is the anger of God which burns hot because of his holiness and righteousness. And fathers and sons must all fear God first because of his holiness and righteousness. His anger burns hot. And in this world, there are cultures and practices in homes that grossly favor firstborns and sons over other children and sons and daughters of the family. Favoritism. And there's idolatry in that. Daughters should never be mistreated because they were not the sons their fathers wanted. And sons are not to avoid discipline as if they hold any rights to their desires or inheritance. All boys and girls and sons and daughters deserve the full love of their fathers and mothers, no matter the gender, just the way they are born. And no one should ever change that. When fathers and parents idolize their own children, they foster a false sense of shame for some and unmerited pride for others. Many people in this world grow up with these burdens needlessly. And our culture today, by and large, is shaped by the masses of many. As we have seen in all the other plagues and disasters, God's judgment by the plagues all expose a deeper issue of idolatry at heart in all peoples, no matter the day and age. These are the things that happen when we mistake false worship with love for our own children and idolizing love for children without proper worship to God first. And the terrible risk for parents is that children always grow, no matter what. There's no pause button. And when there's idolatry at home and without God, the more they grow, the further they deviate from God's truth and good teaching. And God, according to his word, he opposes the proud and lifts up the humble. And he will never, God will never abandon his people or his children who cause him father. It takes a God-fearing father to raise God-fearing children. This is why Moses in the previous plague had won such a huge battle for all the fathers of the Hebrew in the, in the previous plague of the locusts. He prepared sons and daughters to all go worship God. There's no accident in the order and the poetry of Scripture. And so there is God. God is higher still. The love of God is even higher and greater than any father's love. Because God is a father himself. God is love. And when we worship him, we learn from God about what real parental love is. More than we can ever conjure up in our own minds. When we don't know how to love our own children, it's okay. We don't have to make it up on the go. We just have to turn closer to God the Father. If we fail to worship God, we fail our own children.
thinking we have loved them when instead we have spoiled or destroyed them with idolatry of some sort. And before a moment's notice, children take the place where God is supposed to be in the parents' lives. There is most certainly a difference between the love of God for his firstborn son, Jesus Christ, and any idolizing love without God. How God, our Father in heaven, parent his firstborn son, Jesus Christ, can be found straight in the Bible. This is what it says in Hebrews 2, 9-10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God should make the pioneer or founder of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. This is what it says in Hebrews 2. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, since God never abandons his people or children who calls him father, and he lifts up the humble. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer or founder of their salvation, the sons and daughters' salvations, perfect through what he suffered, through what Jesus suffered. In other words, to cut it short, it was fitting for God to have Jesus suffered for the salvation of many sons and daughters. Now break it down shorter. It was fitting for God to have Jesus suffer. And what he suffered was death. Why he suffered was for more sons and daughters to be saved in God's glory. We do see Jesus now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. That's an important word, because. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. The crown of glory and honor on Jesus was not a silver spoon. He suffered for it, and he suffered death for it. And we can see it. Jesus suffered his death publicly for all to see and recorded in history. There is no idolatry when we worship Jesus. There is no false worship when we worship him as the firstborn son of God. He suffered death for the crown of glory and honor. Jesus is worthy, not worthless. He is worthy. In fact, he is matchless in the way he suffered to bring many sons and daughters to the glory of God. Romans 8:32. God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us to bring more sons and daughters to glory of God. God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up. Philippians 2.8 And Christ became obedient to the point of death. He became obedient as a son of God to the point of death. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ the righteous, sinless, also suffered for sins and for those who are unrighteous in order to bring you to God. To bring you to God. So what can we say? Christ also suffered. No one can say God is a hypocrite. It wasn't only the ancient Egyptians who suffered the loss of their firstborn sons. It is not only all the parents or children of today who have suffered the same losses. Christ also suffered. And Christ suffered in order to bring you to God. So here is God. This Father's love is even higher 
than we can ever imagine. God's love is a Father's love, and it is a greater, higher love than we can ever imagine. What does this all mean in the livelihood of parenting and worship? God has subjected his firstborn son to suffering for the sake of more sons and daughters in God's glory. And God subjected his firstborn son to suffering even to the point of death. And Christ was obedient in it. And what the Son of God has suffered, the Father restored. That's why there is the resurrection of Christ. The Father restores the Son. And Christ was raised to life again. God did not let Jesus, his firstborn son, suffer and just let him be the end of it. No, God was the one who restored him as the father. He did not say to his son, oh, you suck. You couldn't do it. Pick yourself up. Resurrect yourself. There was, there was no falling short of love in mockery or abandonment with God. That is the love of God as a father for his son. He raised him. God was the one who restored Jesus to life because God was able. And because he can. And because he is willing father. He was a willing, because God is a willing father. And it was his plan all along that Christ suffered. And God the father restores his son in the resurrection. Firstborn. Firstborn son of God. First to be resurrected. That's the father in heaven for the Son, Jesus Christ. His love, His obedience, His restoration, His resurrection. And God gives Him, Jesus, the crown of glory because He suffered after His obedience is revealed by enduring even through death. That's why the Bible says He became obedient even to the point of death death on the cross crucified obedience to suffer under a loving father with perfect trust who is able and willing to restore him that is the love between the father and son god the father and jesus the son that's the lesson of jesus for all sons that's a lesson of obedience of jesus for all the sons and all fathers are also sons. Obedience to suffer with a trust in God, hoping for the restoration that he can, that he will. You can follow God as a father and as a son, not by your power, but by his. God subjected his son to the degree of a trial in which his son shows to be obedient. And God the father has the power to save him from it and to restore him. In the case of God and Jesus, the trial was to the extent of death. And that's why there is the resurrection. And that's why the resurrection of Jesus is such a magnificent spectacle for the universe to behold. It pertains to even families and parenting. Godly fathers subject their children to the things he himself can restore them from. And the purpose is to reveal obedience. Godly fathers subject their children to trials or discipline for the sake of obedience and endurance. 
with a powerful love that He can restore them. In God's fatherly love, there is no abandonment, no disappearance from discipline, and no betrayal after the trials either. This is an observation from Scripture that all God-fearing fathers can see. And that's an encouragement to all the fathers and their sons. There's no idolatry in loving sons as God the Father would for His own Son, Jesus Christ. Worship God and learn from God to father sons and daughters, if He is truly your God. And if anyone has had poor fathers, you can break that chain under your Father in heaven with Jesus Christ. Poor parenting is a result of idolatry, whoever and whatever those idols happen to be. We can fully love our children only when we worship God first, when we see our own Heavenly Father. If we do not worship God, anything and anyone else can become false gods to us, even our own firstborn. So what are we to say to fathers and sons? Fathers must all be sons to God Most High and worship Him first and foremost. That will change the way you parent when you are parented by God Himself. Parents, fathers, be happy first and foremost in loving God who has given you children. Because the more you love God, the more you will love your own children. When you realize you yourself are a child under God and how amazing God's love has been for you, you will love your children more in a godly way. When God's love is out of focus, everything else in life becomes a blur. Fathers and parents must teach and respond and react to children's growing and questioning mind with their own love for God by being obedient to the Word of God first. You cannot be obedient to the Word of God unless you know the Word of God first. Know the Word of God and listen. Don't repeat Pharaoh's mistake by shutting out God or His Word. Today's question from a child becomes tomorrow's thoughts. And today's thoughts in a child become tomorrow's word. And today's word from a child becomes tomorrow's action. And these actions will yield either sin or righteousness, good or evil, violence or peace in all their lives. And parents have the tremendous privilege not only to bring them into this world by God's will, but to shape them by God's grace. God's grace is on you first. So praise Him freely. That's a very lovely thing. Parents and children, you can worship God together. Whether Jesus is known to us by worship or not, like the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, even among some of us were at once idolaters, people who make idols, hearts full of idols, until God is revealed to us. So come and be washed, be sanctified by Christ. Sons and daughters, it is not altogether a terrible thing if you found out you've been parented the wrong way by your fathers without God. Because it means that you now know what is the right way to God, the Father, your Father in heaven with Christ, 
and there is a new hope in knowing God that way. And that is an invincible truth in the timeless gospel of the Bible. And to the fathers who have lost, if I may only briefly here, to lose a child is an impossible grief for any parent to accept. But you have an invitation with Jesus, the Son of God, and to accept the invitation by faith is a gaze into novel possibilities with your God. Morning to morning new mercies, you see. Those who worship God have nothing to fear. No judgment, no death because of your love, your repentance and your faith, all in Christ and by Christ. Those who worship God, you ought to take confidence in the Lord. Even if or when a son or daughter is lost to you, God can restore you while on earth and your lost son in heaven with Christ. Confidence! Confidence that the life ebbed away from us is not the end. Confidence that there can be new life again, because the Lord Christ himself had risen. His resurrection is great evidence. Confidence in Jesus. Confidence in Jesus can never be swayed by the firm and foreboding fact that he lived, he died, and he lives today by the power of the Father's love. And with him, in Christ, you are also counted as son. You can still follow God as a father and a son. And not by your power, but by his. So wash out any fear in your heart and worship God with a peaceful hope.